Hey, I'd like to begin this morning by throwing up a uh, picture up on the side screen, and I have this question for you. Does this look like the face of a truth teller? How many think this looks like a, a face of a truth teller? Okay, the correct answer is no. This is not the face of a truth teller. This is my daughter, Shiloh, who is seven years old, and she is not a truth teller. In fact, recently she just fessed up to a lie that she committed. We were in our car driving home, and I looked back, and there was this real sad face of this seven-year-old. And I said, hey, Shy, what's up? And she's like, Daddy, i got to tell you something. And I said, well, what do you want to tell me? And she said, well, you know when we went to Florida and you took us parasailing? I'm like, yeah, because your mom didn't want to go and I had to go with you. I remember it very well. It was a hundred bucks, by the way, you know? Haven't seen you do anything there, Shy. Actually, I didn't say any of that, but I was thinking it, you know, I was thinking it. And I said, yeah, I remember uh, going parasailing. And she goes, well, Daddy, do you remember those two people that were in the group with us? And then I started getting really nervous. Because these two people that were in the group with us, they were in their 60s, and they were trashed. And she had bought this parasailing thing for the 65-year-old husband that it was his birthday, and so they were going to go parasailing. I have no idea why they decided that. But I physically had to help them, like, get them onto the boat because they were like, oh, yeah, you know. And uh, so I figured right then she was going to say, Daddy, you should not be that careless to have a drunk person with us when we go parasailing. And I was like, oh, gosh, what's going to come next? And she said, well, you remember I told you that they spit out some red stuff while you and Jordan were up in the parasail and I was at the boat? And I said, yeah, I, I remember that. And I figured it was strawberry margaritas because they had enough of them. You know, I just thought it was like all over the place. And she said, well, Daddy, I just want to tell you, I lied. They didn't spit out any red stuff. And I was driving a little bit more, and I looked up, and all of a sudden crocodile tears start coming down her face. She's like, Dad, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I want to tell the truth, but it's really hard sometimes, but I'm getting better. Will you forgive me? And I pulled the car over, and I looked behind her, and I said, Sis, I love you. You are forgiven. And I'm so proud that you told the truth. Well, today, what I want to talk to you about is how do you get stronger in your character by being a truth teller. Because the reality is, being a truth teller is a really hard thing to do. A lot of people say, oh, I tell the truth all the time. No, you don't. We all have a tendency not to tell the truth for multiple different reasons. Now, truth telling is not the only part of character. Uh, There's other things like endurance and discipline and faithfulness and that kind of thing as well. But maybe nothing affects your character more than telling the truth. Now, this is the irony of this whole thing. I've told some whopper lies in my life. I've told multiple lies in my life. I have had a spin on something to make me look a little bit better than I actually am. I've exaggerated things in a story so that all of a sudden I didn't look as bad as what I actually am. And so if a moral screw-up like myself has a tendency to have struggle with telling the truth, and yet at the same point, I hate it when people lie to me. I, I mean, when people lie to me, I just have a disdain. And the older that I get, the more I, I, I get upset about it. That's why Shiloh shed tears because we talk about it in our house all the time that telling the truth is so important. And so if I have this horrible disdain for telling the truth, when people don't tell it to me, what do you think a holy God who has never, ever told a lie, what do you think happens when 
lies happen to him. How difficult must it be for him to listen to those lies? I mean, just think about it. If lying bothers you, if you hate it when people lie to you, and, and I do as well, why do you think a holy God who has never lied in his life before is like when people don't tell the truth? Well, today I want us to look at one of the most sober and maybe the saddest stories in all of Scripture, and it's in Acts chapter 5. And Acts is a book in the Bible in the New Testament the second half of the Bible, and after Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he ascends back to heaven, and then he says, I'm going to start a church, and Acts is about all the different acts of the church. And in Acts chapter 2, we find that as they're coming together, uh, there is this group of people that are wanting to be truth-tellers. And so I want to begin this morning with this big idea. We'll come back to it. If we can flip it back. I think I... Uh, there we go. This is our big idea for this morning. I'd like all of us to say it out loud together. Truth telling forms the very core of our character. Let's say it again. Truth telling forms the very core of our character. And you can fill that in in your program or you can do it on our app as well. You can do it right there and you can save it. But truth-telling is really important. And when the early church began, they were like, truth-telling is important to us. It's very, very important. And so the Acts 2 church was a truth-telling church. And you know what happened when they started the truth and they were a truth-telling church? On that very first day, 3,000 people came to Christ. And then thousands and thousands after that. And they devoted themselves to God's Word, the Bible. They devoted to fellowship, getting to know each other, and they devoted themselves to the sacrament of of communion. And they prayed these really big, bold prayers, and supernatural stuff began to happen in the church because they were so committed to God and being truth-tellers. And signs and wonders were happening all over the place. And in response to this, God moved in a very powerful way. And many of the wealthier people that were in the church began to start doing something that was crazy. They would actually take some of their property and they would sell it. And then they would give whatever the proceeds were to the leaders, to the disciples. And would say, if there's anyone in need, you go ahead and take care of it. They said, we're going to sell property and we're going to give it away and We're going to give those proceeds to you and whatever you want, whatever need is in the church, it'll be taken care of. Well, it started out with just one guy, a guy by the name of Barnabas. But then all of a sudden, some other wealthier people started doing that as well. They're like, I don't have to have all this stuff. I don't need more stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. So they went to all of their storage units, you know what I mean, that they have all their stuff in. And they're like pulling it out and they're like, hey, anybody that needs some of this stuff, they can just have it in the proceeds went right back to the church. It kind of reminds me of when we first started the church. There was a guy that came up to me and he said, hey, I want to give my car away. I'm like, giving it to me? He's like, no, 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 I just want to give it to the church. And then whatever you guys decide to do with it is fine, but I don't need the value back in it, so I'm just going to give it to you. And we were able to give it away to a single mom. And throughout the years, there have been different people that have come to us and said, hey, I want to give this car away. I want to give some furniture away. I want to give some clothes away. Whatever the needs are in the church, we'll give it away. And some people that need a little bit more, we find out and we can help out a single mom or someone who's struggling because people being generous that way. Now, we don't promote this. We don't push it. We're not like, come to the jar and you can get a car. You know what I mean? That'd be good, though, wouldn't it? You know, next week, man, we'd have people like, whoa, where's the cars? Wouldn't that be bad? You all get little, like, little matchbox cars. Here you go. Man, my, my cousin did that for my brother one time, and my brother punched him in the face. You know what I mean? I was like, ah. Oh. But, all right, we're talking about lying today, so I can't really tell you punched in the face. But he did push him, okay? He did push him. So... We don't promote this, we don't push it, but it it happens. We have something that we do right here. It's actually happening today. There's a blue table back there that has a green box on top of it, and there are green bags. We call it Operation Shop. 
basically what we do is people that may have a little bit more go and get $15, $20 of groceries. And if there's somebody who maybe just needs a little bit more, and we've all been there before, every single one of us have, where you just need a little bit more. And so next week, uh, people will come and they'll give that away, and we've been able to help uh, close to 50 people each, each month by being able to do that. Just a little bit more, and, hey, I need a little bit more. Now back to the story. So, I mean, everything's going right in this church. I mean, anything and everything that you can imagine is going right in this church until a man and a woman lied to the church leaders. And what happened after that, it affected generations after that. Any any of you know this story? It's in Acts chapter 5. It starts in verse 1. It will come up on the side screens. This is what it says. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, conniving in this with him, sold a piece of land, secretly kept a part of the price for himself. In other words, they put it in their savings account, their 401k. You know, they took just a little bit and held it back. And then they brought the rest of it to the apostles, the the leaders of the church, and made an offering of it. Now, think about this for a moment. Ananias and Sapphira actually did a really nice thing. They took their land. No one forced them to do it. They did it on their own. And they decided that they would give it away, a part of the proceeds to that. And if you think about it, they actually had a sacrifice. They sacrificed part of their property to help some people in the church who were struggling. The only problem was they were just a little bit deceitful. Not like a gigantic way of deceit, just like a a little bit deceitful. But it's not a big deal, is it? I mean, not just a a little bit. It's no big deal, just a little white lie. The poor still got served. No one got hurt in the midst of this. But do you remember what happened with the rest of the story in Acts chapter 5? In the rest of the story, Peter, who was the leader of the church... He detects this deceit in this married couple, and he confronts the husband, Ananias. Peter says to Ananias in verse 4, he says these words, You have not lied to people, you have lied to, what's it say? Who? God. God. Have you ever noticed this? Time out just for a second. Have you ever noticed this? When we lie, most of the time we always think it's horizontal. That it only affects the other person that we lied to or the people around us. That doesn't affect anyone else. But you know what? Your first and foremost person that you heard is not horizontal. It is vertical in your relationship with God. More than any other thing, it is affected by your relationship with God when that happens. And so right after Peter said this, you know what happened to Ananias? He fell dead. Better than a doornail. He's like standing there and he's like, uh, yeah, well, yeah, uh, uh, bam. Peter's like, whoa, look what happened. And it wasn't like a coincidental heart, heart attack, you know, like, whoa, I got the big one. I'm coming to you. You know, it's, it's not that kind of thing. Folks, God took his life, took his very life right then, right then. Now, that's bad, right? Like, that's bad. But it gets even worse. A little while later, Ananias' wife, Sapphira, is like, Hey, where's Ananias? It's date night. We're supposed to be getting together. I bet he got held up at the church. I'm going to walk down to the church. And she's walking down to the church, and all of a sudden, she runs right into Peter. And she's like, Peter, have you seen my husband? And Peter's like, well, he was just here a minute ago. (laughs) It went over so much better in this celebration. I did it in the first one. I'm like, he was just here a minute ago. And people are like, huh?
I'm wrong, I know it. (laughs) So then, Peter asked her, now I just want to ask you, did you give all of the proceeds from the sale of the land to us? And she's got to have the same story as her husband, right? You ever noticed that before? Someone lies, but you love that person. You don't want to put them under the bus. Or you're like, that's ah, my boss. I better just go with the flow. And you have this moment where you could have integrity or you could just kind of just a little bitty white light, just a little bit deceit. And you're just like, I better go on with what the story is. And she knew what the story was. Uh, 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 yes, we, we sold everything and we gave all of the proceeds, the full amount to you guys. Now, this wasn't true, was it? Remember, that they kind of skimmed a little bit off the top. And they put it in their savings account, their 401k. And then Peter says a very interesting thing to Sapphira. He goes, shh. Do you hear that? Do you hear those footsteps? She's like, yeah, I do. He says, those are the footsteps of the men who just buried your husband for the lie that you also just gave. And bam, she falls dead. It's like, bam, bam. God takes her life as well. Now, the way this story ends is very interesting, but it's really cool. In Acts 5.11... The whole church finds out this is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. And quote, this is what happened. Great fear gripped the entire church. Do you think? (laughs) Bam, bam. Woo. Struck dead for just a little deceit. What kind of fear do you think hit the entire church? Maybe it was this whole telling a lie thing. Uh, can you imagine that people, uh, while they were eating dinner with their families, they're like, hey, I got a story to tell you about Ananias and Sapphira. And they're like, "Woo, yeah, we've heard that. Or the talk of every small group that particular week. Can you imagine it being that, that, whoa. You know, it happened right then. This also had a conclusion to it that just maybe God takes this seriously. Uh, God's kind of sensitive about this. God's just a little bit sensitive about this lying thing. He takes it quite personally. Now, some of you might be sitting there right now and you're like, Man, I thought God was love. Why is it that he took out two people for just a small lie? I mean, they actually gave some to the poor anyway. Well, let me see if I can venture a guess. From the very beginning of time, God knew that his son would come and then the Holy Spirit would be brought into the church and that the church would actually change the world. That it would change the world. And this church is rocking and rolling and everything's going well and as good as things could be are being done. And they had no possible way of knowing how quickly this whole joyride of supernatural God moving in an amazing way could be changed and a nightmare could take place over a small trace of deceit. Because God knows better than anybody else What deceit does to a church? What deceit does to a marriage? What deceit does to relationships? What deceit does to uh, business partnerships? What deceit does to friendships? And it all comes down to this one thing that every single one of us wants, and that's trust. We want trust in the relationships and the people around us. And when trust is broken because of lying or distortion or deceit or whatever, 
things can go south so fast in a relationship or in a church that the damage can be irreparable. So my humble opinion, God was like twittering a shout out to everybody. A little tweet going, hey, I take this stuff seriously. What you have going on right now in the church is so amazing. There's so many great things that are going. There's a spiritual-led movement, and it's critically important for the redemptive plan that I have for the rest of the world. Billions of people will be reading this story one day because of what I want you to understand about deceit. And God's like, I love my church too much. I love my people too much. I love the power and the potential of what the church could become if it loved like I did and told the truth like I did. So God says to this church, every time you walk by Ananias and Sapphira's grave, I want you to remember how critically important it is to tell the truth. How critically truth-telling is in your marriage. How critical truth-telling is in your work. How critical truth-telling is to your kids. How critical truth-telling is to your business partnerships. How critical truth-telling is in every relationship that you have. And would you just make up your mind that always, only, ever, always, only, ever, to tell the truth. So that's our story. So the question becomes now, practically, what do we do with that? What do we actually do with this? So I want us to answer this question this morning to kind of keep with our series title, Stronger, by looking at this question. How can I become stronger as a truth teller? How can I get stronger as a truth teller? Now, does this sound good? This sound like a good way for us to spend the rest of our time? Are you excited about this? Don't lie. It could be bad for you, I'm telling you. Don't lie. Okay, here's the first step in getting stronger as a truth teller. Grasp God's disdain for deceit. You grasp God's disdain for deceit. Now, some of you right now are asking the question that I asked this week. What's disdain? So, the best way that you can, looking at the person beside you, go ahead and give your best definition of disdain. Okay? Go ahead. Go. Some of you are real quiet right now, like looking at your phone going, uh, <laughs> synonyms. This is what disdain means. It'll come up on the side screen. Disapproval, contempt, hate. In other words, God hates lies. Folks, we live in a world in which deceit runs rampant. Exaggeration runs rampant. We hear distortion and spin every single day. And when we become a Christ follower, when you first start coming to church, when you're like, hey, I want to go down the right road, what happens is God's spirit moves into your life and he begins to start doing kind of a check that says, hey, you're going to tell the truth. He calls you on it. He convicts you of it. He goes, you're going to stop doing the lying thing and you're going to do the truth thing. You're going to stop distorting. You're going to clean this thing up. And a whole lot of us make a bit of headway when we first come to God or when we first start getting connected to the church and we walk in these levels of truth and we're thinking about truth. But then the further we get along with our relationship with God, we get lazy. And what happens is we start comparing ourselves to other people. And in particular, we start comparing ourselves to politicians and used car salesmen when it comes to telling the truth. We're like, man, compared to that politician, compared to that used car salesman, I look good. I mean, like, I look like Mother Teresa, you know? I mean, I look great compared to that. 
And we're still distorting the truth, but it's only 5 to 10%. Just a little. 5 to 10% in our own daily lives and conversations. Now, to root out that 5 to 10%, we must fully grasp this very concept right here. That we've got to grasp the fact that God is wrecked. His heart is wrecked every time we lie. Every time we don't tell the truth. A white lie, a half lie, a little bit. It wrecks the heart of God because he's truth. He's always truth. Don't believe me? Jesus actually said it. John chapter 14, verse 6. He says these, this. He says, I am the way. What's the second phrase? What's it say? I am the truth and I am the life. What does the second phrase say again? What's it say? I am the truth. Jesus said that from the very beginning of time, God was truth. And when I came on planet Earth, I showed you that I am the truth, even to the point of going to the cross. And everybody said, oh, he won't rise from the dead. But there's hysterical, historical evidence even outside. It was hysterical, too. But it was historical evidence even outside of the Bible that tells us there was this man, Jesus, and he rose from the dead. That's what over 500 people said. And he said, I'm always going to tell you the truth. Anyone in this world may not tell you the truth, but Jesus said, I am the truth. I will always be truth to you. And when I think about that for myself, I think, man, every time I lie, it wrecks the heart of God because he's truth. And you know what I'm motivated to do? To put at the very front of my head every single time I walk through a day, God, I want to be a truth teller. Because I know it wrecks your heart. And when I do that, I get stronger in the capabilities of always telling the truth. And maybe, maybe, the same will happen to you. Second step that will help us to grow stronger in our faith uh, and getting stronger in truth-telling is to grasp the damage a lie can do. To grasp... The damage a lie can do. How many of you have ever been lied to? Someone lied to you. How many of you, don't let me call you a liar by not raising your hand right now, okay? So how many of you have ever been lied to, okay? A hundred percent. All of us, every single one, all of us have been lied to. How'd it feel? How much damage occurred in the relationship of the person who lied to you? And what happened to your ability to trust that person again? Did it go up or did it go down? I had a guy in the first celebration where I said, did it go up or down? He's like, (laughs) two thumbs, he's on his knees sitting down going, In the early days of the jar, I had a guy who was a businessman in the community, and I started reaching out to him. We built a friendship together. And over a period of time, he and, actually, he and I actually became pretty good friends, and I invited him to church, and he actually came. And he was a really kind of hard-nosed kind of guy, kind of guy that doesn't trust very many people at all. But we built this friendship, and he started trusting me more, and I started trusting him more. And I officiated at his uh, wedding for he and his wife, and they became friends of ours, and things were going really good. And he often would tell me, he's like, Chris, I only trust three people in my life. And he told me a couple other people, and then he said, you. It's the only people that I trust. And I'm so glad that we have a relationship that we always tell the truth to each other. I started meeting with him one-on-one to do some Bible study stuff. He was doing so well. His character was going well. He was reading Scripture, everything. And I remember him telling me one time that he goes, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you always tell the truth. I want you to know, I'll always tell the truth to you. It may not always be comfortable, but let's just be truth-tellers. 
I said, yeah, it'd be fun. And then one day, he pulled me aside and he said, hey, I, I wondered if you'd be interested in investing in part of my business. We're going to do some different stuff, and I wondered if you wanted to be a part of it. And I'm like, yeah. He said, no, it's an 8% return. I've talked to the attorney. I've talked to some other people. We're all set up, and they brought out this contract, and I showed it to my wife, Jennifer, and we prayed about it. We're like, yeah, we think this is good. It helps him, and uh, 8% return at that time was a good return. We thought, hey, this is, this is good business. And so uh, they got the contract. We signed it all. Everything was well. He said, hey, within six months, we'll start paying this to you, and uh, within two years, we'll, we'll have it all paid off. I was like, ah, oh, that's great. Well, six months went by, and I didn't get a payment. And he said, hey, I know it's six months, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you next month. Don't worry about it. Some things happen. Then another month went, another month. Finally became a year, and we got a, we got a payment. I was like, oh, that's great. You know, it took him a little bit longer, but hey, he's honoring this, and we got one payment for about 10% of what we had given he said, hey, in another month, I'll get the rest of it. It'll all be done. Another month went by. Another month went by. Finally, two years went by. And we got another payment. Got up to about 20% of what we had given. And then another month went by and another month. And every single time, he would come up to me and he'd go, hey, I'm going to uh, get you next month. Next month, we're going to have it. We're going to take care of it next month. Well, finally, three years had come, and we had gotten about 20%, not including interest, just like dollar for dollar what we had. And I was like, you know, I, we got to do something about this. So I talked to my financial advisor, and he said, well, let's sit down and talk about it. And we sat down for an hour, and they were talking, talking, and my financial advisor, he, he sees things very differently than Pastor Boy does. And he looks straight at the guy, and he goes, I don't think you're ever going to pay Chris, are you? And this guy looked straight in my face. And he said, you have my word on it. I promise you as my friend, you're going to get all of it back. And it's going to be within the next month. I got in the car. And I was driving back to my office. And it finally hit me for the first time. He ain't ever going to pay me back. But you know, honestly, it's not even about the money. Money doesn't run my life one way or the other. Jen and I have been at a place where we made $16,000 a year, and we've been at other places where we've made much more, and it really didn't matter one way or the other about the money. But what hurt so much was that he lied. And over and over and over again. Folks, what I'm driving at is that this guy's lie to me actually affected my life more than I ever thought. Over the next couple of years, I wasn't as generous as I used to be. People in the church would have different things. I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. Not going to give to anyone in the church, man. They just, man, you know what I need to do? I need to take this guy's name, like put it over Facebook. <laughs> name liar. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to I'm going to chill back on reaching out to people who are far from God. Because every time I reach out to someone who's far from God, what happens is they take advantage of me. And for two years, I went through counseling, all kinds of stuff to try to figure all this out. And finally, I remember the counselor telling me, Chris, you've got to release all of this to God, including the person. And I did. I've I, I told you this before. I, many times I'll take when I've been hurt, I'll take whatever that hurt is or the person who's hurt me. I just release them to God because I, I don't want to carry the bitterness, resentment, anger with me anymore. And so I release that. You know, as I thought about that experience this week, and I looked at hundreds of emails that this guy had sent me. Have you ever had this experience before? You get hurt, you have a scab, you take the scab off, but then there's still a scar. 
And I would just, some of that pain came back, and I really had to pray through that this week. Folks, I have a feeling that some of you have experienced something similar to where someone lied to you in a really, really big way. Maybe a friend, you told a secret to them, and they're like, oh, I'll keep this secret. It's, I'll hold it in confidence. No one will ever know. And then all of a sudden, you find out a few months later, this dark thing that you were trying to hold back, it gets out to somebody else. And you're like, really? Or you get in a business partnership with someone, and it seems like everything's going real well with that. And they're like, hey, you take care of this. I'll take care of the books. And 10 years later, you're like, oh, my goodness. They screwed me over over all this money. Or maybe some of you have gone through this. You've had a spouse that said, I will never cheat on you. And then they do. Folks, all of us have been lied to, every single one of us. And yet, every time that you get hurt by deceit or exaggeration or spin, it should cause you to do this. I will never do that to anybody else. I will, I will never lie like that. I will never distort this. I will never deceive somebody else. On, on this day, I'm just not going to do that ever again. Because you know how it feels. It feels awful when you've been lied to. And as I recuperated from this relationship with this gentleman, I, I finally told myself, I'm never going to be like that guy. And every time that I get a bill or something of service to me, I fill it out and I send it in immediately. There is no 30 days going in my life where I'm not paying people because I don't want to be like that guy. And I don't do this because I'm a good guy and, man, I've got it all together. I do it because I never want to look like that. Folks, if you want to get stronger in truth-telling... Just watch all the carnage, and I bet you've seen it before, all the carnage of what happens around people when people fail to tell the truth. But if you turn it around, it can have great benefit. One last kind of step in getting stronger as a truth teller, and it's this. Choose a day. Choose a day to end all forms of deceit. Just choose a day. To end all forms of deceit. All forms of deceit. It ends on this day. If you talk to an alcoholic or you talk to a person who's a drug addict who has recovered, they're totally recovered, and you say, well, when was it that you stopped? They'll tell you the exact day when it was. I had a friend of mine that today is his eighth anniversary, and I wanted to be the first one to congratulate him. So I texted him on Friday. I said, hey, happy eighth anniversary coming up on Sunday. And he's like, it's not today. I was like, dude, I said Sunday. You can make it two more days. He's like, oh, my bad, you know. You ask a person who's a, a gambling, recovering gambling addict, they will tell you the day that they never went back into a a casino for a slot machine. Again, they remember the day. You have someone who's struggling with weight loss and they finally get to that point and you say, well, when was it that you got healthier? They'll give you a date of when that took place. Folks, every character change in your life and in my life has a date that is connected to it. A date where you just said enough is enough. Today is the day. I'm going to do it a new way. Today is the day that I'm going to part from the old way and I'm going to trust God in a God-honoring way. So maybe, maybe, today is the day for you to renounce for the first time or renounce for the tenth time or renounce for the hundredth time that all forms of deceit end. Can you imagine what would happen to the jar? If on January 15th, 2017, all forms of deceit ended in this place. Can you imagine what kind of impact we would have in our community when a whole church was truth tellers all the time, anytime? The first 13 years of our marriage, every time my wife would call me and say, hey, how far are you from the house? 
I always lied. 13 years. No matter what she would say, she would say, hey, where are you at? And I'd tell her, and I mean, I wasn't there at all. And it'd be like, hey, how long are you going to be here? I was like, oh, just like 15 minutes. And an hour later, you know, I show up. In February 2007, I'm getting ready to do a teaching on truth-telling. I'm praying to God. And all of a sudden, God says, you've been lying to your wife. I'm like, no, I have not. You get your facts straight, God. (laughs) And he showed to me so clearly that that was a place that was wrecking my marriage. It was wrecking his heart by not telling the truth. And I'm fanatical about it now. She says, honey, where are you at? I'm like, I'm at Willing and McGalliard, honey. I'm at Willing and McGalliard. <laughs> My kids will be like, Dad, just slow we're a few minutes away. No, 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 no. Right now, we're at, uh, you know, Maine and Jack, or, you know, Maine and whatever the cross street is. Because I want to be a truth teller. You know, coupons, they have that expiration date, and you can kind of slide it from the person they don't really know. They're like, oh, God, take that. God convicted me of that. I said, don't do it. You know, he's convicted of me recently. You know, those little, those little sports uh, cards you get, and you get discounts all over, and one's like free breadsticks at Pizza King. I used to use that thing all the time. I'd put my thumb over the top of it, you know, like. Getting real up in here now, ain't it? Don't be messing with my free breadsticks. I cut up the card. We went to Pizza King yesterday. I was mad. Had to pay $4 for breadsticks. <laughs> Just this week, I'm going to Subway. You know, Subway sends you those coupons as a text. Dollar off, whatever that is. For a moment, I looked down. I'm like, ah, oh, it said expired. But you know what? I could just tell them, hey, I think I deleted the one that they sent me. And I'm sure... All of a sudden, like in a moment, I'm like, I'm getting ready to teach on Sunday on truth talk. You know why, folks? That's how much temptation there is to not tell the truth. That's how much temptation you and I have not to tell the truth. So I didn't go to Subway. I felt this prompting by the Holy Spirit to go to Penn Station. (laughs) So much healthier, you know, so much healthier. You know, one of the places where my truth-telling has gotten the best is in my small group. I sit around with a group of people two times a month, and I have to tell the truth on things. And they encourage me, and they build me up. Sometimes when uh, we need help with our kids, they'll watch our kids. On a Sunday, after I've said something that's really been dumb, which happens a lot, I get there on Monday, and this group of people, they're like, That was dumb, but we love you anyway. And there's just something about that in a small group that we get better as truth tellers. So I invited Emily Skoglin, who's our small group director, to talk to you about how you could be a part of a small group. That one of the greatest gifts that God gives to your life is not to do life on an island alone, but to become a part of a group. And so, Emily, once you come, and you can uh, share how people can get plugged in. Hi, everybody. Like Chris said, small groups are a great place for you to um, find community and really be able to tell the truth with people and have them hold you accountable to that as well. Um, And so if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know what a small group is. Um, Well, a small group is a group of about 8 to 16 people that meet typically in a home, and they all have a trained leader, which is who all these lovely people are. And in the group, they're, they're real laid back. They just like to kind of have a snack and have some fun. And then they'll do a study, either a Bible study or a video or a book study, and then take some time to pray. And it's not something where you're going to be pressured to share. If you don't feel comfortable with that or if you don't want to pray out loud, that's fine, too. Um, you can really just kind of feel comfortable at these groups. So I would like you to pull out a card out of your program. It looks like that. It's a long, skinny card. And on one side of it has all of our open um, and new small groups on that card. And so if you don't see your leader up here, it doesn't mean that your group does not exist. It just means that their group's getting a little big, so we close that group off. Um, But these are all of our open groups here. 
And um, you'll see on that card it has all the, uh, the things that the groups are studying. So if you think maybe you're interested um, in the power of the church, then you might want to check out John's group or something like that so you can see what the different groups are studying. And I want to go ahead and introduce the leaders to you. Um, so way down there on the end, we have uh, John and Sis Bunch. That's Chris's parents there. And they have a group that meets here um, at the Y on Sunday mornings at 930. And then next to them is Amy Airy, who has a women's group that meets here at the Y at 9 o'clock. Um, and then next to her, we have uh, Marilyn Casey. And she has a group called Grief Share, which is on Monday nights. And um, that's for anyone that's experiencing the loss of a loved one um, can come and, and share there. Um, and then uh, we have Jim and Marty Chris, and they have a Tuesday night group at 7 p.m. That's for men and women. Um, and then Jamie Lemna leads a group for men along with Tom Truesdale, who is down there. Um, and that's on Wednesday evenings at 6. Um, and then uh, Jennifer Welch has a group during the day for women on Wednesdays at 11.30. And then Becky Kilmer has a Wednesday evening group at 6.30, and that is also only for women. And then uh, uh, Shane and Scotty Brooks have a Wednesday evening group at 6.30. And then this is Ellie McCormick, and she has a college-age group that meets um, on Wednesdays at 7. And then I have a women's group that meets at my house at 6.30 on Tuesday evenings. And this is my husband right here. And uh, we lead a group together that is uh, for men and women on Fridays at 7. And then uh, this is Dan and Heather Turner and Lisa Reed. And along with uh, Lisa's husband, they have a group on Friday evenings at 6.30, and that's for um, men and women as well. And then Tom and Cindy Truesdale lead a group for empty nesters on Saturday at 6 p.m. So if there's any groups there that you think, hey, that might be cool, I'd like to check it out, it doesn't mean that you are locked in or committed to that. On the back of that card, you can go ahead and put um, your name and a way for me to contact you. Fill that out. And then on the back, if there's one that, that you're interested in, you can circle that. Or if there's a couple you want to circle, um, then I'll get in touch with you this week and we can talk more about that. Um, so I'm going to let the small group leaders get back to their seats. Would you give them a, a hand? They're awesome people that do a great thing. And uh, I also want to... Okay. So, hey, we're going to give you a moment right now. We're going to give you mood music to uh, fill out your small group card if you'd like, and then if you get it done, um, and if you want to take some more time, you can, they can uh, drop it off uh, at the small group table there in the back. And I'll be at the door as well if you want to give that to me. That's fine, too. Okay, so here's your mood music for your small group card. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's Okay, 20 seconds, 20 seconds. Fill it out. Don't leave yet. Okay, uh, I invite you all to stand, and this is how we're going to close today. First of all, you were never meant to do life alone, folks. You were supposed to do it in community with other people. That's why small groups are so important, and we want to encourage you to, to get plugged into one. And I'd like to close today by giving you an opportunity to make a public truth-telling pledge. Now, we're not forcing everybody to do this. If you're like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. This is the first time I'm here. I'm not there. That's cool. No big deal at all. No one will know. If you're self-conscious, just fake it when we get to that part. People think you're making a pledge. But if today you're like, you know what? Today I want to be a truth teller. I want to become a truth teller in my character. Then we're going to have a pledge that we'll say out loud together. And Here's just the first part of it. I'll explain it, and then we'll say it out loud together. The first part says this. I serve a God who always only ever tells the truth. 
I love that about our God. You never have to worry about him telling the truth to you. If you go and you go, do you love me? He looks down and he says, of course I love you. I moved heaven and earth just for you. That's how much I love you. But God, I really did this messed up thing and I just, I don't know if you'll forgive me. Will you forgive me? He always tells the truth. And he says, if you repent, you say you're sorry. He goes, of course I forgive you. I love you. I forgive you. Well, God, you know, is there any area in my life that I need to work on right now? Guess what? He'll tell you the truth. But he's always going to tell the truth. He'll never look at, let it look messy. So the first part of it is, I serve a God who always only ever tells the truth. And as you grow in your faith and you grow a little bit more, you're like, not only is God that way, but I want to look more like him. And so I want to be that kind of person. And so the next part of the pledge goes like this. From this day forward, with his help. In other words, you can't do it on your own. You need help. You need strength. That is from God. You need someone that's stronger than you to help you fulfill the goal of being a truth teller. And so it says, from this day forward, with his help, I pledge to become a person who always only ever tells the truth. So today, if you're like, I'm ready to do that, I'm tired of lying because every time I lie, I've got to try to cover up a story that's already been covered up. I'm tired of that. I, just, I want to tell the truth. If you're ready to do that today, then in one voice, let's all say this out loud together. I serve a God who always only ever tells the truth. From this day forward, with his help, I pledge to become a person who always only ever tells the truth. I'm going to invite our uh, prayer team to come up right now. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to pray with you and for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for always, only, ever telling the truth. And God, would you help us this week to be truth tellers. That our yes would be yes, that our no would be no. When we're tempted to lie, when we're tempted to tell a half truth or exaggerate a little bit, would you help us to look at ourselves and to turn to truth and turn away from deceit? Help us to honor and keep our pledge this week, God that we would become people who always, only, ever tell the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.